Hello, and welcome to your viewing of the movie The Deep Rig. We are delivering this free of charge because you deserve to know the truth. In my experience, people watching this movie literally grow shocked and upset. And that's because they come to realize that the most fundamental atomic concept in our tradition has been violated. That fundamental concept is consent of the governed as is determined in elections that are free, fair, and transparent, which the November 2020 election manifestly was not. However, exposing election fraud is just one part of the fight to save America. There are other parts, and you have a role to play. We need you to join the America Project. The America Project is set up to arm patriotic Americans with the information, tools, and resources they need to defend their rights and to defend the soul of this country. Recently, and really for many months, the America Project has been behind events in Arizona, working with grassroots activists, digging up information, doing the political work necessary to get that Maricopa County audit uh, going and properly resourced. We're doing the same in numerous other states where we believe audits are not only due, they're completely necessary. Uh, a deeper part of our work is building a, an alliance, a network of pro-freedom individuals, businesses, and organizations across America. Through this mass movement, we're going to peacefully, peacefully push back and assert and defend our rights. To save America. So please invest in America, join TAP, join TAP and make it. And if you feel this movie change your mind or was worth it and want to uh, help and encourage efforts such as this, please donate to TAP immediately as you watch the film, perhaps. So thank you and enjoy the show. Patrick Byrne, former CEO of Overstock, who's part of a data analyst team analyzing abnormalities in election results, says President Donald Trump's advisors want him to lose the election and are lying to him. This comes after a lengthy White House meeting on Friday that Byrne says he was a part of. In the course of that meeting, there came a moment that I felt something much different for Donald Trump than I had expected I would feel. What was it I felt? I'm still not sure commiseration for a tired man, a kind of love, or just deep sadness that I could see he understood he was failing on the most colossal of scales. He was losing, but he could not put the pieces together. Yet it was child's play to defeat. I wanted to scold him and weep for him at the same time. Yet I hadn't even voted for him. They're trying to tell us that all these anomalies, the shutdowns, the dead voters, the vote flips, the mail-in ballots, the media censorship, this just happened out of the blue. Of course this couldn't happen out of the blue. It didn't happen out of the blue. And the article in Time Magazine basically laid out in plain view <laughs> the exact activities that this cabal of people was a combination of labor unions, political activists on the left, corporations, um, big tech, and others 
that worked in a cohesive method and colluded with each other to ensure what they said was to protect democracy. Quote, the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told, even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election, they were fortifying it. And they believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. Close quote. Time Magazine article, February 4, 2021. Patrick used the term for me, I'm a Sherpa, <laughs> where I kind of, you know, lead people in and out of meetings. And I kind of play the role of bringing these people together. As that started to gel, as those relationships started to gel, Patrick's team was involved in that. Dolphin speakers, as he, as he likes to say. So we became a pretty cohesive team. This was a group of people that really believed in each other. These are not just average people. These are pretty brilliant people and incredibly accomplished in their own rights, uh, in, in their careers and so forth. But to watch the team sort of come together and coalesce as a team was a beautiful thing. And I was happy to be kind of, you know, sort of the glue to that group of people, at least in the beginning. And then once they were together, they sort of, you know, have taken off into a whole different direction. I had a ringside seat to events from November 3rd, 2020 to January 20th, 2021, and feel a duty to tell the world what happened. I will not be regurgitating the headline events everyone will have read but will aim to explain what was going on behind the scenes and give my best account of why things played out as they did. My only interest is honestly conveying the truth for historical purpose. I had a interesting experience in my 20s. I had cancer a few times. And so with not much you can do in that period, I, I did a doctorate in philosophy at Stanford. And my specialty ended up being political philosophy, especially the, I, the ideas that make up the U.S. Constitution. The basic question is, is the government authoritarian or does it see itself as deriving its powers from the consent of the governed? And if that's the most atomic concept, how do we discover what is it to which the governed consent? You hold an election. You hold an election that's free, fair, and transparent. And this election was not free, fair, and transparent. So this has nothing to do with Donald Trump. I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I'm a lifelong libertarian, so I've never voted for a Republican or Democrat for president. You know, I would be doing this, whoever had won, whoever had lost. The most atomic concept of our tradition has been violated. I got involved in this in August of last year, August 2020. A friend of mine, a very dear friend and a part Native American guy who was kind of a spiritual advisor, showed up and told me that he needed me to meet some people involved in this movement studying election integrity and election fraud. He died the next day, oddly enough, in a plane crash. At his funeral, I met the people that he'd been talking about, and it was a group of very serious, very sober, ex-FEMA military high-ranking you know, officers and such who had been studying the subject of election integrity and thought that we were vulnerable to a mass election hack. Regular poll workers and election officials going through their standard procedures and, and standard operations could unwittingly be used to transmit viruses from one machine to another. We brought in um, folks who, before our eyes, hacked election machines. 
And in that instance, it took less than 48 hours for us to change all the votes, and we were not caught. Early voters in Georgia in 2018 saw machines deleting votes and switching them to other candidates. These companies are accountable to no one. They won't answer basic questions about their cybersecurity practices, and the biggest companies won't answer any questions at all. They had knowledge of how weak the systems were from a poorest security point of view. They were trying to brief the Department of Homeland Security until Washington put a kibosh on them, and the office they did was called CISA. Government and industry representatives from the election security community issued a joint statement reflecting a consensus perspective that the 2020 election was the most secure in U.S. history. The former director of the Homeland Security Department's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency was fired by President Trump in November after he made that statement. And on November 3rd, we got six shutdowns of one form or another. Vote counting was interrupted for about three hours in each case. Water pipe has broken inside the arena. We don't know how many more they have yet to tabulate, but all the tabulation of those ballots has now stopped. Tensions, though, did run high while the votes were being counted at the TCF Center when dozens of poll watchers were turned away, being told the tally room was at capacity due to COVID-19 restrictions. Widespread election fraud, they say, doesn't exist. Well, in a sense, it doesn't exist. It's, it doesn't have to be widespread. You can't do it with widespread election fraud. You do it with narrow, deep fraud in six cities. And those six are Las Vegas, Nevada, in Clark County, Phoenix, Maricopa, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Detroit, Michigan, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And in each of these cities, some excuse was created that in one way or another, there was a three-hour interruption in vote counting. And in those interruptions, in one way or another, big injections of, of faulty votes. For example, if we look at Pennsylvania, how they fix the votes, and you see back on election day at 2 a.m., something very strange happened where there was an injection of 337,000 votes. These kinds of swings isn't natural, it's not organic. And that's highly suggestive of some monkey business going on and it just so happens to coincide with the period that they had officially shut down the counting and moved everybody out. And that's the period where you see these unnatural swings in the votes. Here's Michigan. There's a, a 54,000 vote injection you see uh, here where the, the blue line just jumps up, somebody's just injected a bunch of Biden votes. Here in Arizona, same kind of deal. Election night, November 3rd, just after 8 o'clock. It swings in, in votes that do not seem natural. And here's another one, Georgia. This is wonderful. 6 a.m. on the morning of November 4th, this great big injection of Biden votes with no corresponding Trump votes. When you have injections like this, you see some point comes in the vote counting where they're really just making up their big loss. 100,000 votes show up 
with essentially no, not a Trump vote in them. These sharp discontinuities sort of summarize all these states have a common feature. At some point, election counting was shut down. At some point, there's some big injection of Biden vote. And then at the end, he comes out winning by a hair. So as I explained earlier, to steal the nation, you don't really need to cheat across the nation. Cheating in those cities, you're flipping the swing states, which flips the Electoral College, which flips the country. So to steal the country, you don't really need to cheat across the country. You just need to cheat like crazy in these six cities, which are all Democratic strongholds. So it's almost an insult to our intelligence to, to say, well, I don't see anything here worth investigating or no, there's no point to go and look at these ballots and see if there's anything unusual. You know, just that, that in itself should be all, just about all it needs to wake you up. I do not want anything violent to happen. Biden went through the constitutional process, and in that sense, he is, in fact, the president. He is legally the president. We've got one more crack at this uh, in 2022, and if we don't recover, then we're done. We're done-ski. So uh, that's why I'm involved, and I need this like a hole in the head. But like I say, this is what I did with my 20s, is I did all the history of this stuff, and it became my religion, and I see this really as the, you know, the... the the possibility of the lights going out, you know, not just for us, but for the world. You know, it's kind of hard of us to think about a grand cabal, right? It's like something out of a James Bond movie, right? Some evil guy waiting for his billion dollars, right? Well, suspend belief for a moment. And do you believe that sometimes people cheat. Think about it. If you played cards or any games with your brothers and sisters, people cheat. It's just the way it is. So now let's peel that onion back and let's look at the voting system. For the first time in history, we have the most people ever that came out to vote. Or the most people, dead people that voted. Whatever it is, but the most people ever came out to vote. Then you have the most ever spent in any election year. $14 billion was spent in 2020. And then you have the first time in history by many, many multiples, tons of ballots mailed out and dumped in the marketplace. Is it a lot easier for maybe hundreds or tens or even thousands of people to do a bunch of little things that end up changing the big result? So sometimes don't think about it as this big grand cabal doing things. There's enough small people that do some of these bad things that can change the vote. I'm Joel Von Hutton Pulitzer. Uh, I'm an inventor. I created a lot of the technologies that you use on your mobile phone every day. If you were to look at my bio of who I am, you would learn a few things about me. I'm a first generation American. My mother was an immigrant. My mother also was a prostitute and a drug addict, and I lost her to AIDS. I am the epitome of living the American dream. I realized that I wanted to use all my power to try to make sure future generations continue to live and benefit from the American dream. So like you at home when it came to election night, I remembered something that happened on the Jimmy Fallon show. When do you think we'll know the results? All right. Jimmy, you raise an important point, and I hope the American people understand it, because this is something I worry about. 
My view is every vote must be counted. For reasons which I don't have the time to get into tonight, you're going to have a situation, I suspect, in states like Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, other states, where they are going to be receiving huge amounts of mail-in ballots. And unlike states like Florida or Vermont, they're not being able, for bad reasons, to begin processing those ballots until, I don't know, election day, or maybe when the polls close. That means you're going to have states dealing with perhaps millions of mail-in ballots. I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does. But it could well be that at 10 o'clock on election night, Trump is winning in Michigan, he's winning in Pennsylvania, he's winning in Wisconsin, and he gets on the television, he says, thank you, Americans, for re-electing me. It's all over. Have a good day. But then the next day and the day following, all of those mail-in ballots start getting counted, and it turns out that Biden has won those states. At which point Trump says, see, I told you the whole thing was fraudulent. Now, that was in 2020 in October. How did that exact scenario happen? The only way to answer this is to look at every ballot, physical, scan it in and look at it and do a 100% audit. There are two U.S. codes on the books. There's U.S. Code 42-1983, and there's U.S. Code 52-2701. And it states very clearly, everything with an election, from the digital data to the information to the ballots, should be kept and held for 22 months, specifically for audits. You paid for those ballots, you paid for the mailing, you paid for all the people that run these elections and the politicians that are keeping them from you. Why can't we just look at these elections every single ballot? More than six months after the 2020 election, an unusual audit has begun in Phoenix. Workers hired by Arizona Republicans have been going over more than two million ballots. This has nothing to do with going back and trying to change the results of the November 2020 election. This is only about identifying whether we have some strengths and weaknesses in our election processes. My name is Bobby Python. I'm a first generation American that believes in God first, that loves his country, and has decided to step up when I was called to ask to do some analysis on some voting irregularities in the, in this, in the once great state of Arizona. It was a Friday afternoon, I was debating, agreeing to do this because, you know, it's a Friday afternoon, you know, it's time for a cocktail, <laughs> and I wanna move on and enjoy my weekend. I put in about 30 hours and about two and a half days and jumped on a plane and went to testify in Arizona on the 30th. The corrupt mainstream media and tech oligarchs are colluding in an attempt to assassinate the American public's true legal vote. Nothing was more to be desired than that every practical obstacle should be opposed to cabal, intrigue and corruption. These most deadly adversaries of Republican government might naturally have been expected to make their approaches from more than one quarter but chiefly from the desire in foreign powers to gain an improper ascendant in our councils. In my humble opinion, upon reviewing all the data that I'm going to go over and reading countless articles, clips, and videos over the past week, I think this is the biggest fraud in the history of our constitutional republic. It's taking place right before our eyes. 
after I did all this analysis and started to look at what results came out, I came to realize that something looks as though it's been manufactured. It wasn't random enough. I, need, I wanted to create a probability map. I had to take the information from 1,500 precincts. I had the, the data from ages 18 to 100. So I took the 1,500 times the 82. Then I took the three types of classifications, male, female, and you. I guess unclassified or undefined. And then there was five types of classifications of the type of voter. A type one was the hard Republican that always voted Republican. Two was a moderate Republican. Three was a uh, independent voter. Four was a moderate Democrat. Five was a hard Democrat. I ran this analysis across all ages and across all precincts. And from looking at that global data set, I found that there was, a, there was about a 64% correlation between the different classifications of voters and the distributions of those numbers through time. So if you were a type one voter, which is a hard Republican versus a, a swing voter, type three, over time, you would bounce around. Sometimes you're Republican, sometimes you're moderate, sometimes you switch to a liberal. And there was a very high standard deviation, which makes sense. So it was about 64% correlated that through time these numbers would bounce around. And the correlation was north of 32, 33%. With you voters, the correlation was 94%, which made no sense on the surface. How can you tell me that through time, someone who's a Republican, someone who's a Democrat, someone who's independent, that the way they behave and move through time was tightly moving in lockstep. Now keep in mind, if this correlation was 94% and I was telling you, you know, yeah, I had a sample size of 2,000, and you'd be like, Bobby, come on, who cares? There's 4.3 million records. It would still be super interesting mathematically speaking. However, there was 463,000 records. <laughs> so, so when you have 463,000 records moving that tightly through time as someone ages, with a 94% correlation and a 3% standard deviation, it's like, holy cow. You know, when you look at it on the surface, logically speaking, a lot of younger generations, of people 18 to 30, might identify themselves more as you or they don't want to list a sexual type of uh, identifier. Would you believe that in the type one voters, a lot of those individuals that were in their 60s and 70s, now, I don't know about you, but I don't know that many 16, 70 year olds that are identifying as a you voter. <laughs> and so I thought it was kind of, it didn't pass, pass the common sense test. If it, was all, it was, if it was all front loaded on 18 to 30, yes, it would make a little more sense. But the fact that it was neatly through time, through age, where it was a nice bell curve, tells me and should tell you that there's a problem. There's a serious problem. These are the words of actual forensic scientists who reviewed the information and made a conclusion based on the data that they reviewed. What's so important about this report and what was so stunning to everyone who read it was in the conclusion, which is in paragraph two of section B, and they stated we conclude that the Dominion voting system is intentionally and purposely designed with inherent errors to create systemic fraud 
and influence election results. The system intentionally generates an enormously high number of ballot errors. The electronic ballots are then transferred for adjudication. The intentional errors lead to bulk adjudication of ballots with no oversight, no transparency, and no audit trail. This leads to voter or election fraud. Based on our study, we conclude that the Dominion voting system should not be used in Michigan. What I've been doing is constitutional law for 25 years. Whether it's fighting with the Internal Revenue Service or the FDIC or any other government agency or state agency. What I want to ensure is that people honor the Constitution and those documents because they are what makes us the greatest country in the world. That's what makes us free. That's what allows us to express our opinions, talk about ideas, talk to our friends, talk to politicians, talk to our neighbors about what's important. And that's not the way our country is anymore. You can't talk anymore about ideas. You get canceled if you say the wrong thing. And now to the social media purge after the siege on Capitol Hill as the country now braces for potentially more violence ahead of the inauguration. President Trump today lashed out after he was banned from Twitter and Facebook while another platform, Parler, was driven offline. Some say these moves are long overdue, but others are calling them an assault on free speech. Uh, I received a call from uh, a, a, a guy named Patrick Kolbeck, uh, a former Michigan senator, uh, in uh, mid-November uh, 2020, uh, and he asked me if I was willing to represent a patriot named William Bailey, who lives up in Antrim County. Uh, and the problem with Antrim County was uh, it is typically a Republican stronghold that goes 65 percent for the Republican candidate. In this election, Joe Biden won Antrim County 65 percent to 35 percent. So it was a complete direct flip of historic uh, election results. But the way we did it uh, was we didn't challenge the presidential election per se. We challenged down-ballot elections, and we did that for a particular reason. Our goal really was to go in and collect data about the election, but we didn't want to do it in a way that drew attention to ourselves or drew attention to the court itself. We wanted to be very respectful of the court. We didn't want to create a media buzz. Uh, we didn't want to put pressure on anyone in that respect. Um, and we knew from other lawsuits that had been filed throughout the state or other states that they were being summarily dismissed on procedural grounds. Supreme Court moments ago speaking and flat out rejecting President Trump's last ditch effort to steal the election from Joe Biden. The court rejecting the lawsuit from the Attorney General of Texas, which challenged the election results in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. The Supreme Court tonight saying, quote, the state of Texas's motion for leave to file a bill of complaint is denied for lack of standing under Article Three of the Constitution. Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts its elections. So our idea was if we challenge the down-ballot races, school board races, things that meant stuff to local people in the community, that would be viewed more favorably by the court and by the residents of the county. 
So we filed a lawsuit very specifically challenging those down-ballot races um, and also filed a motion for a protective order and the judge granted our request and allowed us to collect the, the forensic images uh, of the Dominion voting system. When you forensically image a computer, for all intents and purposes, you can think of it as taking a picture of it. You are saying, okay, these are the files that are on the file system. These are the things that are currently in the memory of it. These are the applications that we're running. So you get an entire configuration of the machine. And it can be captured in a way where using cryptography, you can know for a fact that it didn't change. And our goal was to immediately then scramble a plane to get to Antrim County with our forensic team. So right before we were going to get on the plane, the Secretary of State essentially tweeted out that we were going to be there. She was essentially tipping off everybody exactly when we were going to be there, which that, that was not, not a deal. We'd also heard that the county administrator had called Dominion directly, uh, and that county administrator uh, directed Dominion to get to Antrim County and that they may need to protect their equipment. December 4th at 11.03 p.m., someone accessed the Antrim County election management system and removed files. They removed system logs and other files that would give us the opportunity and let us review what actually happened on election night. We want to see if anyone accessed that system on election night. We want to see if anyone used the modules within the system that allows them, that are built into the system and allow them to manipulate and change votes. This isn't me making this up. This isn't conspiracy theory. These are actually procedures that are all outlined within the Dominion Manual itself. So right on the screen, I can go ahead and say, you know what, the voter meant to mark these. They wanted those votes to count for those candidates. I can do the back page. I'm not going to fill all of them in here. And then I hit complete. It's going to go on to the next ballot. Dominion says election fraud didn't happen. But, and Dominion says that these are the most secure servers ever. They say you can't do it, but they're not the third party. You know, these guys can be, you know, programming the election and, and making changes that these local uh, county clerks don't understand. They don't even know where to look for the fraud. They, they, they don't have the election experience. And that's where we started looking into the bigger problem. We were asked to do an independent evaluation of the Antrim machines. Um, we wanted to take a look at the systems from an application security standpoint to determine whether they put the proper protections in place in order to protect the vote. And uh, what we found was, uh, was kind of alarming. On this election management system, all of the devices, everything that you need to run it is actually in one box. So one of the things that we found is that this user that everyone logs in as has full access to the database. Not only do they have full access to the database, but there's tools installed on, in all three states that allows them to open up a user interface and directly edit a field in the database and change the value. There were no logs on that would log this behavior. Um, there was no way for you to see that it happened. Um, so literally the integrity of the system, anyone who had the credentials and limited technical ability could log into the system and potentially change a vote. And so once we were able to look at the open database, we could see all the election history of Antrim County. Each one was a separate table. 
in the database and we're able to look at a user file. In the user file, there was a hash password. By default, you could you know, easily find that hash. So we started doing more research. Once we started looking, we found it on the Election Assistance Commission report in 2012 that they said the password was hard-coded into the election software. The password they used in the 2020 election was publicly on EAC's website. The most secure election ever that we were told by Krebs and the Department of Homeland Security and CISA, the Election Assistance Commission had the password on the website. That bug was found in 2010. So Chris Krabs came out and said, ah, you know, they misinterpreted the data. If you walk through that report, there's no way that they, again, it's just like the mainstream media, it's just like big tech. They came out and said, oh, there's nothing to see here. They misinterpreted the data. He's a lawyer. Chris Krabs doesn't know anything about code. The guys that actually dissected this code and were able to reproduce that information and align it with what should have happened through the system, they're really, really, really smart. They were very, very thorough. They've never put out one single thing that shows any real technical problem with the report. This is a piece of history that we have in terms of how we produced it, how we delivered it, how we got a court order that allowed us to release it that day. Think about that. A judge in advance reviewed this report. And the ultimate outcome was they said that the system was either designed for or built to create fraud, to allow for a fraudulent outcome. No matter, no matter what you say about Dominion voting system, Dominion is saying that it's a safe system, nothing to see here. And again, if everyone is telling you that there's nothing to see here, but all of the data tells you that there's fraud in the system, well, which one are you supposed to believe? My name is Joe Oltman. I'm a data company CEO and uh, based out of Denver, Colorado. I'm a walking contradiction. Uh, my dad's black, my mom's white, my whole family's interracial. I grew up very poor. My brother was murdered by a police officer three years ago in Virginia. Um, I, I've dealt with racism on both sides. Uh, whites hated me because my dad was black, blacks hated me because my mom was white. I'm driven by the desire that, hey, listen, I've done really well in my life and I want to be able to share that with other people. I want to influence other people's lives. I'm, I'm driven by the idea that as a country, if we don't stand up now, there'll be nothing to stand up for in the future. So I started out um, back in March of 2020 when the entire world shut down. And I was watching businesses burn. I was watching people get laid off. I was watching friends that I've known for a long time, for a long time that have actually done business with us um, suffer. And that led me down a path of building an organization called FEC United. It stands for Faith, Education, and Commerce, the three pillars of, uh, of the community. And on the faith side, I didn't say churches, just faith, just giving people the opportunity to go back and worship um, and get fed spiritually um, without interference from the government. We set out to uh, you know, help our community, built up 94,000 members in a very short period of time. So from there, people started writing these articles about me and saying that I was this right-wing extremist, <laughs> which people don't know much about me if they actually call me a right-wing extremist, I'm not extreme about anything. So I wanted to figure out what was really going on and, and why would they write these things about us if it wasn't true. And so we dug into it a little bit and started figuring out that these, these journalists were not actually journalists, they were Antifa activists. So as a result of that, we, you know, it, I set out to figure out who the Antifa activists were. And then as the story goes, that's when I discovered Eric Coomer. So in September of 2020, 
I set out to infiltrate Antifa, and uh, and I did. So I had I met a guy that was a part of Antifa, and he said I got to figure out a way to get out, but I'm too deep into the process. So I said the first thing that we could happen is we could dismantle it, and the easy way to dismantle it is to uncover who's actually running Antifa. So he got me on a phone call. They were talking about how they needed to fortify and continue to do the things that they were doing, not just in Colorado Springs, but in Denver and all over Colorado. And a guy named Eric started speaking. And when Eric started speaking, he started talking again about how they needed to fortify, not give up. They asked, who is Eric? Right, who's Eric? And um, they, uh, somebody came back and said, oh, Eric's a Dominion guy. As he continued to speak, somebody else interrupted him and said, hey, what are we going to do if Trump wins? And he responded, don't worry about the election. Trump's not going to win. I made fucking sure of it. So I hung up the phone, started doing research on Eric. I didn't know Eric was Coomer. I just knew Eric. I'm kind of a research junkie, so I just went through and started gathering information, went and listened to YouTube videos to make sure that the voice that I heard on the call was the same voice that... Um, uh, to match up to that particular individual. And so as I walked through this process and gathering information, I thought there's no way that a guy that has a PhD from Cal Berkeley is a part of Antifa. So I put it aside and figured, oh, he had to work for the you know, CIA, FBI, one of the, the alphabets. I didn't think anything of Eric Coomer. I didn't think of anything about that phone call. I just knew something was wrong. November 3rd, we all know what happened. We went to sleep at night with President Trump being handily ahead. Um, we woke up the next morning that Biden had won and nothing to see here. And I'm sitting at, the, at my friend's place and I get this text message. It's like, Joe, you need to read this article. And as I went through the article, it had talked about in Georgia in several precincts that the system during election, the election on election day actually went down. And there was a description inside of the article that said why it went down, that they had to do an update in the middle and it took it down for four hours. But the person that gave the update was Eric Coomer. And at that moment, my heart sank. That's what I knew. That's when I knew that there was a, you know, Dominion Voting Systems was in 28 states. That's when I started to realize that, you know, this guy, Eric Coomer, when he said on that call that don't worry about Trump, you know, he's not going to win. Um, that's when I knew that there was a high probability that he affected the election. We handle everything currently digitally. This is our digital adjudication system. If you have multiple ICCs, ImageCast Central's running, they all write the data to a network drop location, and you can have multiple adjudication stations for multiple teams to handle the outstack ballots. All right. This one, I can actually zoom in here a little bit. This is a typical voter intent issue where they didn't fill out the ovals completely, they just made little tick marks. Um, it's what's called an ambiguous mark. And what we're saying is we're not sure what the voter intent is, but we're going to allow the adjudicators to make that call based on any kind of state statutes. We first um, really started digging into Dominion was the, when Joe Oltman's report on, on Eric Coomer uh, came out and some of the comments that he had uh, allegedly made on a teleconference or a video call. Um, we were approached, uh, our team, a uh, small team uh, in Texas was approached uh, to, to look at uh, some of the uh, Antifa and BLM um, problems that, that we saw arising 
early uh, 2020. Uh, so in the summer, we started looking out at network uh, mapping and uh, routes and coordination and uh, integration of, of those organizations to the problem set, looking at uh, communications patterns, uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures uh, that they were using. Why are they saying that it's debunked? Do you have a theory on that? I have a theory in life. It's an about people and personal behavior. It's it's either a, a, a variable of competence or a variable of commitment. In this case, they would be either incompetent, they haven't done the research like I and my team have done, they haven't looked to the user's manual of these systems, um, they haven't rationally thought that, uh, okay, these election votes are updated in real time, how does that happen? Hi, I'm Phil Waldron, um, retired uh, Army, and um, I was a, a part of the uh, investigation team that looked into uh, irregularities in the 2020 general elections. You know, I testified right after the, uh, the video in the, uh, the arena that came out that showed, boom, we're shutting down, there's a water main leak, we're trying to be a toilet leak, everybody was kicked out, and boom, we're bringing, about, bringing out the pallets. And so they brought out the stuff underneath the table, and you can watch in the, in the security video, which obviously they didn't know were there. They were running the ballots through, same ballots through time and time again. So that was the one that we got the video of. There were 30 other precincts that we didn't get the video of. The UN would probably decertify our election. They would say that the 2005 Iraqi elections, which I was there for, were more secure than the 2020 US elections. There were just, just so many anomalies. Uh, the mail-in voting, the absentee voting were part of it. Uh, again, those are able to be injected at the local level. We started looking into the organization of people. Uh, we started looking into the connectivity of the, the environment, uh, the, the voting companies, how they were connected, how data flowed. So there's certain things that had to happen in order for this election to go the way that it went. Built this diagram, and the diagram is really simple. So you first start off with absentee ballots. You have to have ballots that could be unvalidated. In other words, that absentee ballot system has to go through a signature verification process. The signature ver verification process is actually tied to the internet. So when you have that connection to the internet, it goes out, looks at driver's license record or even the absentee ballot request form, the signature that's on that form, it goes back in, tries to validate that signature through the first adjudication process. If it matches, it goes to verified. If it doesn't match, it goes through a curing in most states. You contact the voter, they come back in, they look at the signature, they verify it's them, it then goes back into the verified. If you turn down the ability to match signatures or you stop verifying signatures through that adjudication process and just sending them to verified, you bypass the integrity of that particular system. Does that make sense? All right. So then you take those ballots, you go through verified, and then the next step is to separate the ballots and the absentee ballots from the envelope. The envelopes are what can tell you how many ballots you actually should have that are absentee ballots. But what we found in many states is that the envelopes were actually destroyed, making it impossible for you to validate against any of the absentee ballots. So the, the next step is a tabulation system where you take those ballots that have been separated from the envelope and you put them through an image scanner. So it's called an image cast system on the Dominion side. So you put them through, they're scanned in. At that point, you can actually add in fake ballots 
ballots that have just been reproduced or phantom ballots. Ballots inside the system can actually be created out of thin air. You can actually create a ballot out of thin air. You put those through the tabulation system, this is where the second adjudication happens. This is the adjudication of intent. Now inside of the Dominion system, you have the ability to set different levels of what becomes adjudicated. So I could send ballots through the system with absolutely nothing filled out. Well, this is where it gets really tricky. Once you do that and it goes to adjudication and you have you develop or create intent, it erases the ballot that the image that was taken and replaces it with the one of intent. Replaces it completely. So you don't actually have a history of that ballot being replaced in the adjudication process. So if you have ballot harvesting that's happening and it gets through those different cons that you have there, you're, it's still going to be tied to a real voter. When you put phantom ballots or you put blank ballots in the system that aren't tied to that verification process, when it enters that environment, then you have to find a way to align it with a voter. You have to have the system come down and come back up so that it can validate against those blank ballots or phantom ballots. So the same way that you had to verify that those signatures and that those were actual voters, you have to do the same thing. You have to find a way to sync up those fake ballots with an actual voter. Because people are like, Bobby, prove it, prove it, prove it, right? I hear this all the time. I started to see that different patterns emerge with different types of phantom voters being created. And why aren't they being caught? Because so then when somebody's like, oh, well, there's dead voters voting here, but it was never enough to turn the election. You had an abnormal number of people living with their parents at various ages that made no sense. So that's a class of phantom voter. So then another voter is someone who moved within the state. And your information resides in one county, now it resides in a second. And then if you move into a third county, it might be in all three. So they would bounce around within the state and their information would be there. The fourth type of phantom voter was, you know, I call it the gremlin effect. You know, all of a sudden, there's a Bobby Python in this county. And then there's a Rob Python in this county over there. And then there's a Bob Python in this county over there. And so my vote is getting diluted. So when someone's looking up my name, they're like, well, there is a Bobby Python that exists, or there's a Robert Python. It must be the same person. But it's not. You know, they, they've split me. And, and basically, they've stolen my vote when they do that. And then the fifth type is the one we all think of. They just made the person up. You want your vote to count 100%. Not a fraction, not a tiny bit. Your vote 100%. Now, when you voted and you cast that ballot, when you last touched it, that's what an election should be about. It should be exactly how your vote counted. If we look at the physical ballots, we can find out truthfully not only what happened in the voting, but we can find out what happened in the machines. Here's a way to look at ballots. We think of ballots as just a piece of paper. Now, my example here is just basically a white ballot. They're printed on white paper. However, the reason I'm saying we need to scan the ballots and look at them forensically is because unlike some people say it's paper, you can't hack paper, you can hack paper. Let me show you how. So in my example here, white is going to stand for a legal ballot. It is the proper ballot, proper way, proper paper. Black in my scenario is gonna be a counterfeit ballot. 
That's going to be something that should not exist in the system and is illegal. Now, what about ballots that actually get scanned multiple times sequential? Here's what I mean. Think about it. If a ballot is printed in a sequence and they're mailed, what's the odds of them coming back in the same sequence? However, that occurs in the system. So that's what this blue one's going to stand for. A yellow one here, that's going to stand for a ballot that somebody just mimeographed. What you don't know is these machines cannot tell the difference between a good ballot and a bad ballot. Let's take this green one here. Did you know the machine can read just an empty ballot? It takes it in, it stamps it, it just needs a voter. You can assign voters later. And then I use my red one here just as, we'll call it foreign bad actors, our communists here, we'll use the red ones. The system wants you to think is the ballots are like this, all perfect. But if you take these ballots and you scan them back in independently and look at them with forensics, that's what's called computer vision, kind of like self-driving cars. Machine learning, that's where the computers learn as they go, or artificial intelligence to really look at them. Here's what the system truly sees. It can actually look at all the physical ballots and see all the different layers. So you don't need the machines to see code. You can see code in the physical realm. Here's the bottom line. If there are bad ballots in the mixed, why should they be counted? So when we look at harvesting of votes, one township in Antrim County, um, 1,200 out of the almost 1,500 votes were error ballots. They had to be adjudicated. Now, Antrim County didn't do electronic adjudications. They had manual adjudication. But in the counties and the states where electronic adjudication, you can export all those adjudicated uh, ballots in a, in a batch file or a CSV or an Excel spreadsheet. We couldn't figure out initially why the Nevada Secretary of State had exported the voter rolls to Pakistan. We introduced evidence in Nevada from county employees who were whistleblowers, two employees that came to us through completely different channels that told us that during the early voting period when people would come in and vote on voting machines, that votes were appearing and disappearing in the middle of the night. They would log a, 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 a voting drive out with a certain total of votes on it at night, and then when they checked that same drive in the next morning, the voting total would be different on that drive. It's something that the courts, that the media, completely ignored. They never went, and they, they never really even tried to challenge the validity and legitimacy of our experts and our evidence. They just ignored it. Uh, my name is Jesse Banal. I am an attorney that practices uh, on various issues, including election integrity. My grandfather, who I love dearly and, and was a, a huge influence on my life, you know, while he was fiercely independent when it came to, to politics, the most important thing was to remember that uh, our elected officials worked for us and that we could always have the right to fire them if they weren't doing what they were supposed to, to do. In Nevada, I, I think what made the biggest difference is that the legislature in Nevada passed a bill uh, in the middle of the night in the summer called AB4. The Nevada legislature used COVID as a pretext to pass AB4, which set the standard for all the voter fraud and irregularities we saw in Nevada. 
The voting rights bill passed through the state Senate today along party lines. It broadens Nevada's mail-in voting system just in time for the 2020 election. The main idea behind it is to make sure as many people as possible cast their ballot even amid the coronavirus pandemic. The bill requires mail-in ballots to be sent to all registered voters. It also increases the number of in-person polling locations in certain counties. AB4 made it so that there was universal mail-in voting, that every voter in the state would be mailed a ballot, but they didn't put into, into effect anything that could uh, clean the voting rolls or make sure that you weren't sending uh, ballots to um, incorrect addresses um, or, or multiple ballots to the same people. They, they didn't take any, they didn't make any effort to do that. And that's really what uh, was one of the biggest things in, in Nevada that resulted in, in all the fraud, all the irregularities that we saw there. House Democrats are rethinking the entire U.S. voting system. They're pushing massive legislation, 791 pages to be exact, full of major changes to our elections. I'd say that H.R. 1 is an unconstitutional bill that is riddled with ways for the left to steal elections and to inject their um, their own political beliefs on the American voters rather than the American voters being able to set the standard through their votes. This bill is very, very long. There's a whole lot in here. It touches just about every part of how Americans vote, how states run elections, a whole lot of, of changes that would come out of this bill. It requires states to have uh, universal mail voting to uh, it, it absolutely guts the ability, uh, the ability of states to have um, voter ID laws. And it makes it almost impossible for states to authenticate ballots properly. It's going to set the stage for fraud for years and years and years to come if it becomes law. I was reading this HR1 bill. They need a half a billion dollars to kind of create some metadata. Who's getting that half a billion dollars? Bobby Python with, you know, probably like maybe, I don't know, 30 to 50 people. I could build a data set for the whole country for probably five, five million bucks that the public owns. So why the hell are we spending 500 million? But there's a lot of friends in high places, right? There's, there's friends of these people that they take a cut and they take a skim. These select families who have used various breakthroughs that the American public has funded with regards to technology through our defense apparatus, grants to universities. They hijacked all of these research findings and they gave them to their operators, the individuals that are running these companies, these massive media companies, internet companies, social media companies, that they call the shots from behind the scenes as to which side are they on? Are they on the side of God first, that we're all equal spirits before God, that we're all children of God? Or that there's a pecking order where certain people are just disposable as human beings? Which world do you want? So if you want to stop the skim across government, across all functions of government, take over, take control of the voting system in this country. You should never be able to have a cabal of businesses 
that are able to completely silence Americans. Freedom of speech is in more dangerous danger right now than I think it ever has been in the history of the United States of America. And if we want to continue to be able to go out and talk without fear about uh, important issues, we've got to fight back. And we have to fight cancel culture with every fiber in our beings in order to make sure that freedom of speech is protected. So there's a lot of risk in being involved in this. But if you view it as the end of our democracy, too many people lost their lives preserving what we have now to not put everything in to do what we can to save it now. I've had so many people come to me and say, hey, you need to get out of that. You can't be involved in that. You know, what about your family? What about this? And my answer is, what if nobody stands up? You know, what if nobody else fills this gap? How can I shirk it off on someone else? I know stuff and I can do something about it. And by golly, I'm not going to let our country be lost on my watch. So I'll do what I can do. Because I think we all knew that politicians lie and they cheat and they steal. I don't think any of us knew how bad it really was. <laughs> that's, and so that's the big wake up. You know, there's an information war and news stations, you know, they just parrot the same thing over and over that, that you know, that's why they're called mockingbird media, right? There's not a single, you know, uh, piece of evidence of election fraud. That's not true, and they know it, but, you know, they, they try, try and go with the, say it enough times and it becomes true, you know? You repeat a lie often enough until you don't need to repeat it anymore. I took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution. I didn't uh, take an oath to protect and defend a political party. Uh, I think um, the elements of our government are corrupt. No one is looking to you know, start a war. All they're trying to do is say, hey, we don't think our votes counted this time. Let's be damn sure that our election counts next time. You know, we have a whole team of people that are just are doing this because our, if, if my vote doesn't count, your vote doesn't count, you know, what are we doing? So many people don't understand what they can do. There's groups that are forming up around the state right now. We talk about these issues, how they can get involved, how can they make their voice known. The rules are for thee and not for me. We see it every single day. We see it when they create different rules for us as people, yet the government, they, they don't have to follow the same rules. We saw governors that went and had dinners at restaurants while all of us were told to stay home. We saw education where the teacher said, hey, I don't want to go to school, while well, we saw our kids die of suicides, depression, mental illness. So I, I, don't, I don't actually know. I don't. I don't know if it's possible to come back from where we are right now. The Maricopa County audit is extensive and thorough. The scope of work includes canvassing to ensure that the voters on the voter rolls are actually real people. So far, this has been the biggest concern for the Democrat groups. 
While they claim they want to prevent voter intimidation, there's no indication that any voter intimidation would actually take place. Their argument is without merit. The more likely reason they are so adamant to prevent a scrub of the voter rolls is that there may be a large percentage of fake voters who actually cast ballots in the last election. That would be devastating to the Democrats and the more likely reason they are throwing so many attorneys at this problem. I'm Christina Bob, One America News, Washington. I don't think people realize how close it was in Arizona. I mean, we say it was three-tenths of one percent. 10,457 votes between Biden, the winner, and Trump, the loser, out of 3.4 million votes. Hi, I'm Ken Bennett. I'm the Senate liaison for the audit that the Senate has asked for the Maricopa County election. This is not about right or left. This audit is about right and wrong. Was the election conducted right? Or are there areas that we can improve? And it's not about going back and changing the results from 2020. It's about identifying in a very, very close race, did we count every vote correctly? Now, if we, if we identify errors or fraud or whatever that might have made enough difference to change the election in 2020, then people are gonna go bananas, I'm sure. And people in other states are going to have to say, well, maybe we need to look at our elections, too. Because Arizona, who's known for having very good elections, um, found enough to say maybe the result wasn't correct. One of the assumptions that people are making or charges people are making is they think fake ballots were entered in the election. We want to eliminate that and say that we've verified to the best of our ability, to the, to the technical knowledge we have, there were no inauthentic ballots or no ballots printed by anybody other than the authentic printer that produced the ballots for Maricopa County. My name is Bob Hughes. I currently have a company called Marketing Resources. Uh, I've been in the printing industry since 1972. We want to make sure that not only do we count the ballots and make sure that the count is correct, we want to make sure that only authentic ballots, only legitimate, original, legal ballots are being counted. Another thing is the paper. If the paper comes from a very particular mill, that mill is going to have very particular standards. We can tell whether or not too many of one type of ballot was issued or too many of one type of ballot was received. So we're looking basically for any signs that we can see of anybody using any kind of inauthentic process or illegitimate ballot that should not have been in the election process and should not have been counted. So if the evidence comes forth and it's obvious in a, in a big way, then, then that would be to me the catalyst that could change a lot of things. The biggest asset we have is the American people. And I say all American people, because all American people must, must, want to have free and fair elections. It's the only sacred right that we truly have as citizens of this country. Yeah, my name is Joe Flynn. I am uh, a private citizen. I uh, happen to be General Flynn's younger brother for the last four years for General Flynn's Legal Defense Fund. I played kind of a role of spokesperson for that. President Trump last night pardoned his former national security advisor Michael Flynn after a long legal battle in federal court. It is my great honor to announce that General Michael Flynn has been granted a full pardon. Congratulations to General Flynn and his wonderful family. I know you will now have 
a truly fantastic Thanksgiving. Once the case for General Flynn was over, when the pardon came, we rolled right into the election fraud work. And I got deeply involved in that. I worked very closely and I continue to work very closely with the whole team on, uh, on really going after um, what's needed to be exposed. And that is, you know, the massive, massive amount of fraud uh, that took place during this election, which was unprecedented in American history. We did not have a free, fair and transparent vote on the 3rd of November. And the entire world knows, everybody in this country knows who won the election on the 3rd. What happened on January the 6th was a terrible thing, but it wasn't the first time in American history that that building was attacked, okay? Back in the 60s, the Weather Underground blew up bombs inside the Capitol building. At one minute before one o'clock this morning, the switchboard at the Capitol received a phone call. A man's voice said a bomb would go off in the building in half an hour. During the Kavanaugh hearings, there was enormous amount of agitation and people storming into people's offices all over that building without being invited in. The sergeant at arms will restore order in the gallery. And, and I guarantee there are other times, maybe not to the extent that happened on January 6th, but to make it look like it was, it was this one-time event in American history is disingenuous to say the least. It was unfortunate, it was divisive. However, let's not kid ourselves and say it's the first time in American history something like this has happened, because that is simply fake news. And speaking of January 6th, why are there still so many things, basic factual matters that we don't understand about that day? We know that the government is hiding the identity of many law enforcement officers who were present at the Capitol on January 6th, not just the one who killed Ashley Babbitt. According to the government's own court filings, those law enforcement officers participated in the riot, sometimes in violent ways. The police here are willing to work with us and cooperate peacefully, like our First Amendment allows. Gather more Americans under the condition that they will come and gather peacefully to discuss what needs to be done to save our country. But strangely, some of the key people who participated on January 6th have not been charged. Look at the document. The government calls those people unindicted co-conspirators. What does that mean? Well, it means that in potentially every single case, they were FBI operatives. Really, in the Capitol on January 6th. Show us. No attacking, no assault. Remain calm. We're not going to assault. We're going to be heard. Everybody, this must be peaceful. This has to be peaceful. We have the right to peacefully assemble. Twitter is saying that people who are secretly working with the FBI cannot be charged for encouraging others to commit crimes. Well, yes, exactly. That's the very point we made on this show last night. That's why they haven't been charged, because they were secretly working with the FBI. So in an effort to shut us down, Twitter just confirmed what we suggested was true. Thanks, Twitter. The way in which big tech, uh, the mainstream media, and the Democratic Party uh, have acted post the election where they, the big tech in particular, if you mention in a tweet election fraud, they would quickly shut you down. They'd unconnect you from Twitter or, or shut your Facebook page down or whatever. And the, and the media constantly using the word baseless conspiracy theory about election fraud. 
In a 46-minute video shot by the White House and without press in the room, the president doubling down on his unsubstantiated claims of widespread voter fraud. Repeating his baseless claims that the election was a fraud. Despite these baseless claims of voter fraud. As he makes these baseless claims about fraud. All of them backing the president's unsubstantiated claims of widespread voter fraud. I can't in good countenance continue showing you this. I want to make sure that maybe they do have something to back that up, but that's an explosive charge to make. There's no way that that can't be a coordinated effort. There's no way that an election takes place, that much fraud is perpetrated, and the media immediately starts calling it a conspiracy theory. Like, within hours, within hours, they're calling it a conspiracy theory. The big tech immediately starts shutting down uh, strong voices. It's, we have to shut these people up because if they, if more and more information gets out to the average American people about what took place, if people start even people on the left who are sort of saying, well, I mean, they can't all be lying. I mean, they can't all be crazy and liars. You know, the, the fact that, that it happened so quickly, it had to be a planned effort. There's no other way to describe it. I guarantee you, if you subpoenaed the phone records between Congress people and people in big tech, you'd see a lot of communication going on during that time, maybe before the election as well. I have a feeling they knew that this was coming and they were ready for it. I think the biggest asset that we have in all of this is the American people, not the politicians, not CEOs of corporations, not Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey or any of those people. Mr. Dorsey, does voter fraud exist? I, I don't know for certain. Are you an expert in voter fraud? No, I'm not. Well, why then is Twitter right now putting purported warnings on virtually any statement about voter fraud. We're we're simply linking to a broader conversation so that people have more information. No, no, you're not. You put up a page that says, quote, voter fraud of any kind is exceedingly rare in the United States. That's not linking to a broader conversation. That's taking a disputed policy position. And you're a publisher when you're doing that. You're entitled to take a policy position, but you don't get to pretend you're not a publisher and get a special benefit under Section 230 as a result. If we had a functioning Department of Justice and a functioning FBI in many counties, in, in, in all six of these counties where there was clear election fraud, clear violations of election rules that were set forth by the legislators, there would have been cases filed on a massive scale. If we had a DOJ and an FBI that actually cared about getting to the truth. And I, and I mean this to say that the leadership, and I, and I point to, to the Attorney General, okay? T Attorney General Barr, I believe, abdicated his duty, and, the, and, and Christopher Wray, head of the FBI, abdicated his duty to not look into these cases. I know for a fact that there are a lot of people inside those in agencies that probably would have liked to look into this and maybe they wanted to file a case but I think that there was an institutional failure at a colossal scale by the FBI and the DOJ which only only leads to the reality that those institutions have lost the faith of a hundred million Americans they lost they, they, if they didn't lose their faith watching what happened to General Flynn they certainly lost their faith post-election when they filed no cases. Our judicial system, our rule of law system, not just the judiciary, but the, all, all branches of government, or especially our federal government, it's not about finding or, or seeking the truth. 
It's about getting convictions. So whether you're guilty or not, you're guilty. And they're going to come after you. And they're going to do it because they can. They tried to put me under the ground, right? They literally tried to kill Mike Flynn. And that's for real. I mean, this is the persecution that I experienced. Uh, Michael Thomas Flynn, um, a retired lieutenant general from the United States Army, I spent almost 34 years in the military. And one of one of the uh, one of the things that I I discovered was this amazing formation of a team of people that only wanted to get to the truth. When we looked at it, it wasn't about okay, these are all people who are pro-Trump or whatever. In fact, in in many cases, they weren't. They, they saw what I saw. They saw what millions and millions of people, not only in our country, but around the world saw on the night of the third. They came to us, we formed this amazing team, and we started to, to work at, at discovering what we believed we needed to discover. And our mission was, in this case, to try to find the truth and discover what happened during this, uh, this crazy election that we had. So one of the people that came into my life and I had previously known through an old friend uh, who's now deceased, it was Patrick Byrne. His insights were interesting because one of the things that we felt prior, we both felt, and we all, we, some of us talked about it in, in sort of more intimate uh, discussions, was we felt that like we had spies in our camp. They were trying to discover what our strategy was going to be and then share that with whoever, right? Whoever they're going to share it with, whether it's members of the federal government the deep state, right? Maybe. Or members of the opposing camps. But we know, we, we felt, and, and, and it was proven out, that we had people that were not being totally honest with us. And so we had a couple of conversations. We began to see what was forming or not forming and what was needed. And it ended up being not this giant group of people. It was really a small team of, of, uh, of, of real true subject matter experts who had the same idea in mind, get to the truth of this thing. I learned that our system was totally broken, okay? That our executive branch, our legislative branch, the judiciary doesn't function the way, it's, that, way that people want it to function. And, the, and the, the founders realized, they knew, they knew that there was going to be tyranny setting in to the, to the very lifeblood or the DNA of the federal government, and it has. As I look at this and I say to people in this country, we, we have to wake up in this country because if you don't recognize that at the, 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 the person running a precinct is as powerful as the president of the United States on voting day. Why? Because that person running the precinct, guess what they're responsible to do? Count those ballots. I didn't, I could have cared less if Trump won, you know, fine. If Trump lost, fine. But I want to know what the truth is. This is not fake news. This is reality. We cannot fake the American people out and lie to the American people about what the reality is. And the reality is they were lied to. That this system is totally broken. The United States of America election system broke down. I think that the president, from the very beginning, was never presented 
what I call clear paths to victory. For me, and for a couple of us, we were able to identify those early on. And that's where you prioritize your, your efforts. Because you can't go and say, well, it's a big, it's a big problem. Where do you focus? It, it, it eventually came to that, where the focus became the states, the swing states, and then it became these counties in the swing states, and then it became down to the level of counting votes or not counting votes, or what are we going to do in all the, all the fighting for the truth? But the president, he was not clearly presented what I say are clear, what I call a clear paths to victory. Had he personally gotten, had he known those, gotten involved in those, and focused on those with his team, we'd have a different outcome today. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Going forward, one of the, the key things that needs to happen is people need to get involved in the election process, in the election system. And it may not just be running for office, it may be being a volunteer observer and you watch the process. Because I'm gonna tell you, the next time that we have an election like this, that's what people are gonna to wanna to do. They're gonna go, are we, are we using the same systems? Are we using the same ballots? Is the system still broken? Well, how can I fix it? Get involved, be one of those, be one of those uh, volunteer observers. That may be the most important thing that you do on a given day in, an in your entire life. So one of the things I liked about Flynn so much when I met him, he may be the only guy I've met in a long time who we quote Federalist Papers to each other. We studied all the previous attempts at democracy, both ancient and modern, and in my words, as I figured it, we figured out what made democracies fail and, repu and republics fail, and we designed this constitution around those failure points. There was one failure we didn't figure out how to design or how to how to design to beat, and unfortunately, that's the one that brings down republics more than anything else in history, and that is the problem of what he called factionalism. But we would really probably think of it today as special interestism. Special interestism, which leads to captureism, because the special interests capture the government and turn it against, turn it to their own private ends. This is a revolution by the elites against the people. But I think what's happening is the elites looted the country for two decades or more in certain ways, and the bill has come due, and they're trying to hand us off they're paying the bill by turning us over to China. I think that's kind of what's happening, but I know that gets speculative. I'll stay away from that. You know, listen, when you're on the side that says the other side doesn't get to have the side, you're on the fascist side. And so what they're trying to do is engineer things. And we have to be smarter. If you've ever dealt with a goon, by which I mean a cop who is swollen with authority, or if you're at a nightclub and some bouncer is swollen with authority, Imagine that becoming your government, that becoming the kind of people who excel in society, because goons have to select other goons. That's what it's like in authoritarian governments. Humans are noble savages, and it is civilization which corrupts us, civilization which taints us put, and, and puts us in chains. There's another view of human nature that some philosophers have that is best expressed by Joseph Conrad's uh, Heart of Darkness which was, if you've seen the movie Apocalypse Now, you've, it's the same idea. And that's, uh, in the book, it's a Mr. Kurtz. In the movie, it's Colonel Kurtz, the Marlon Brando character, who's removed from the constraints of civilization and sees what's at the heart of man and, is, and discovers, basically, you know, he dies muttering the horror, the horror, in both the book and the movie, for a reason. 
And if that's your basic worldview, it's civilization which keeps us, it's the rules of civilization which keep us, that, that constrain that. There are ways to fix all this, but it's, you gotta restructure things. And now they're trying to pour cement over it all. They want us to go violent so they can harness them, and they already are trying to harness the power of the CIA, the FBI, the DHS, and to try to oppress half the country. So this is a goon takeover of the United States. As far as I'm concerned, they're the extremists. We're not the extremists, they're the extremists. They're the ones who are burning the Constitution. You know, one of the first signs throughout history of a country being destroyed is the media and the government withholding information from you. Quite possibly, this is the very first time you've viewed the evidence. There are incredible people around the globe and in the United States that are fixing this problem. This will never happen again. We just had an election in November of 2020 that was riddled with fraud and that resulted in a stolen election. We can't stick our heads in the sand collectively as a country and pretend that didn't happen. It happened. We, had, we have to deal with it. We need to make sure it never, ever happens again. We know that there's, you know, election fraud. We know that a small-scale election fraud at my local county, the local city, the state level, can change an election. There's anything that I will commit myself to, and I hope my fellow citizens, regardless of their party, will commit themselves to, is a free and fair vote. There is nothing more sacred, and if we don't get this right for ourselves in the short term, but for our children in the long term, then the bastion of freedom, the bastion of hope for the world will, will fall away. How about the real pandemic we're gonna face, which is mental health and, and mass suicides of our kids, because they have been infected with this idea that they should be afraid of everything, or not having hope. These are real consequences for the American people. And the people that don't have to feel these consequences are the people in government. The people have to understand that in the end, all politics are grassroots. We have to build up the system from the bottom. I think there's enough, you know, energy behind what happened in this election to actually, you know, create change moving forward. And, and that needs to happen or, or, you know, this country is gone. I do believe that we've woken up quite a bit. Maybe we're not there entirely yet, but there's so many people that are saying enough is enough. I think it's really important for the American people to realize that if we don't fix our election integrity now, we may no longer have a democracy. I'm an American, and uh, I swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution. And this was an assault on the Constitution, and that's why I'm here. Never forget who you are as an American citizen. You are the most cherished human being on this planet. And the reason why the rest of the world, the other seven billion people on the planet look at the United States of America is because they look at each of us and they say, oh my God, these people can, they, these people have freedoms that I can only dream of, that are only in my mind. These people are actually able to exercise their freedoms. And so we as Americans, we take 
our lives for granted. We take what we have for granted. The rest of the world doesn't take those for granted. They, they are sacrificing their lives to try to get what we have. So as an American citizen, never take for granted the freedom that you have because it can be whisked away with one sweep and, uh, and in this experiment of democracy that we continue to tinker with as we go forward. Okay? Doesn't matter if you care about abortion, religious rights, gun rights, your local school bond funding, your, what you care doesn't matter if you don't have election integrity. It's the thing you want no matter what else you want. So we have one chance, and that is to get massively organized on election integrity. And that means volunteering, you know, not just to be a precinct observer, but to be a precinct worker, especially if you live in a swing state. Uh, figure out what it would take to fix it, and that's what you, no matter what else you care about, you now care about election integrity first and more, in my respectful opinion. So in the end, what do we do with all this information? And what are the implications? What do we do as a society when our politicians, mainstream media, social media platforms, and judiciary have failed us and chosen to abuse the consent we the people have given them? How many lives were lost because a pandemic was exploited for political means? How do we put aside our differences in political opinions, race, gender, ethnicity, to find common ground with one another and not let them divide us any longer? What is that common ground? Is it not our responsibility to collectively undo a broken system and rebuild it, remove the ones who have abused it, and hold accountable the individuals, corporations, and government agencies who are complicit? This is truly a time of great awakening, and the elite corruption of the 1% is there for the rest of the 99 to see. Your vote is your voice in the current system. It's also your responsibility to the larger problems we all face collectively. We have all been lied to, and no one is coming to save us or fix this. It is we the people who are tasked now to do so. It is up to us, and the whole world is watching. What will we choose to observe?